Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Hey, I just realized that Ellie Honig is featured in not one, but two separate podcast episodes. He made the cut for release number seven, our numbering system. Number seven, that's when he published Hatchet Man, how Bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the Justice Department. And then he was also in a more recent episode, number 207, from his most recent book called Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. Normally, we reserve that kind of status for like the likes of Nelson DeMille, right? You know, you've got to be like, or James Patterson, (laughs) but Ellie makes the cut. And I want people to go and listen to episode 207 to get sort of the big picture of the entire book, Untouchable. I want to drill down with Ellie, who graciously comes back to the program right now to talk about one aspect of the book, but very important because he broke it. You have heard that if Trump is indeed prosecuted by Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan district attorney, it will be for facts that the feds passed on. Well, we know that because of Ellie. Ellie broke the story. He's a former Southern District of New York prosecutor, and he broke the story about how, yeah, there was a draft indictment prepared for Trump in the waning days of his administration. And in the end, they decided not to move forward with it. This is CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig. Ellie, thanks so much for coming back to the program. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm always thrilled to join you. I, I guess since I've been on twice, if I get three more, do I get a robe? Is that how this works? Five timers club? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like SNL. Like you, you'll be, you'll be right. like uh, Chevy Chase, who has <laughs> guest hosted many. Exactly, hysterical. <laughs> so, Ellie, t- t- talk to me specifically about what goes on in the Southern District in the waning days of Donald Trump's administration as it relates to both Stormy Daniels and McDougal. Yeah, Michael. So, you know, when I reported this story for my book, I thought it would be interesting historically. I thought I thought it would be worth a look back. No one had told this story. I had no idea that it would come roaring back to life like this. And just so people are straight, because people do understandably get crossed up between state and county and federal and the SDNY and the Manhattan DA. Let's just sort of separate it here. Please. The S- the Southern District of New York is part part of the United States Department of Justice. They are all federal prosecutors. That's the office where I used to work and where actually Alvin Bragg, the current Manhattan DA, used to work with me. And I should say, I always do point this out, Alvin is a friend of mine and and a colleague who I have high regard for. Across the street is the Manhattan DA's office, which is a state-level prosecutor. So let's, let's separate those. Now, Everyone will, I think, recall that in 2018, right in the middle of the Mueller investigation, the Southern District of New York prosecuted Michael Cohen. And one of the things that Michael Cohen pled guilty to was campaign finance violations because he was sort of a pass through for these uh, hush money payments that went to both Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. 
at the time, the Justice Department, the Southern District of New York, could not indict Donald Trump under longstanding DOJ policy saying we will not indict a sitting president. So they were able to sort of just back burner and say, ah, we don't have to worry about this. Fast forward to late 2020, early 2021. And now all of a sudden the SDNY is going, oh boy, now we have to make a decision because he's leaving. And so the, as I report in the book, there were a series of meetings between high ranking people at the SDNY where they thought about, do we charge Donald Trump for this? And we can go through some of the rationale. Of course, we know the outcome was no. And in short, they felt that while the evidence, opinions on the team varied a bit about the strength of the evidence, some felt it was borderline, but enough to charge. Some felt it was a bit better than that. They felt like it's not worth it to be to bring such a dramatic indictment of a former president for the first time in our history based on this evidence for this conduct, given everything else that has gone down. So they passed. And now here we are two plus years later, and it looks like the stadies across the street may be picking it up. I want to know more about this process. Uh, let's begin with this. Ultimately, was the decision made at the Justice Department in Washington? Did the attorney general have to make this decision or was it made in the SDNY? The latter, actually. So earlier in when they, when the SDNY was prosecuting Michael Cohen, the bosses at DOJ then under the Trump administration, this is actually pre-Bill Barr, stepped on the Michael Cohen indictment. The SDNY wanted to put all this detail in there about Donald Trump's involvement. The bosses at Maine Justice said, absolutely not. We don't just put extraneous detail in there. And by the way, it's important to understand there is a longstanding tension between the SDNY and, and the guys down in D.C. Why? Uh, they call us the sovereign district of New York because we're, we're headstrong and independent and one might even say arrogant, but we don't like to take marching orders from D.C. Um, so, when it came time, though, to discuss, do we tar- charge Trump now? And this is early, late 2020, early 2021. Merrick Garland isn't even in office yet. Garland doesn't even take office until March of 2021. But the SDNY has a series of internal meetings. And there was really no dissension within the SDNY. All the involved players said, no, not worth it for for those various reasons. And they never even sent word down to D.C. And no one from D.C. ever called them up and said, hey, what are you guys doing? It just died on the vine at the Southern District. Who was championing if anyone, the idea of we need to indict Donald Trump as soon as he leaves the White House for this? Within the Southern District, I think the, the answer there is nobody. I think they, they had a series of deliberative roundtables, but it wasn't necessarily like the pros and the cons, the pro-indictment, the con-indictment. There was a, a consensus. I was told these meetings within the SDNY were actually not all that contentious. There was no vocal dissenter saying, hey, folks, we have to do this. The consent, the, Their view basically was the evidence is okay, but not great. And if you're going to indict a former president, you want a strong case. The view was by this point, remember, this is like weeks after January 6th. The view was at this point that this conduct, this hush money was the fifth or sixth most important thing that Donald Trump had done. It had fallen way down, uh, way down the rankings. And the feeling was somebody's going to pick him up for something more important, more substantial than this. And so in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion, they came to a consensus fairly quickly, there were a handful of meetings, it was more than one, but I don't think it was five, where they said, yeah, we're going to give this one a pass. In your book, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It, you wrote that there was a draft indictment, quote, the draft Cohen indictment was a full accounting running, running over 50 pages in one iteration, essentially both a formal indictment of Cohen and a public excoriation of Trump, 
only without charges attached. The SDNY's draft indictment left no doubt Trump wasn't merely a bystander or an unwitting beneficiary of the campaign finance crime. He was the driving force behind the scheme and likely criminally liable for it. Explain that to us. So this is there's always this dilemma whenever you're getting ready to indict a case, Michael, which is you don't name people other than the defendant. That's why you, by proper name. Right. That's why you'll always see you'll see individual one person two, the banker, et cetera. And on the one hand, you need to tell the whole story of the person you're indicting. On the other hand, you don't want to extraneously tarnish other people. So the SDNY drafted up this really sort of robust indictment of Michael Cohen that made quite clear Donald Trump's central involvement. And when the main bosses at Maine Justice at the time, one of whom was an SDNY alum, saw this, this was run down to D.C. They said, absolutely not. Now, there was a heated back and forth between what we call Maine Justice, meaning the D.C. bosses and the Southern District. And there were two sort of heavy hitters, both of whom I, I know, one Rob Kuzami, who was running the Southern District, and Ed O'Callaghan, who was down at Justice, where they went back and forth in a respectful, substantive manner, as we try to do among ourselves at DOJ, but there was a heated disagreement. SDNY felt like we can't tell the full story of Michael Cohen without telling everything about Donald Trump. And we don't want to look like we sort of pulled our punches as to Trump. But main justice, ultimately, they're the bosses. And they said, no way. And that's why if you actually look at the Michael Cohen indictment, it only mentions individual one seven times. And most of those are just absolutely benign. It just says he was the CEO of the company, um, that kind of thing. And there's actually a little bit of a, a nuance there. The SDNY considered whether to call Donald Trump in Michael Cohen's indictment co-conspirator one. Now, that would have been much more inflammatory. Nixon was called co-conspirator one in a grand jury report, not an indictment, but a grand jury report. Um, but the SDNY itself figured that that would not fly at DOJ. They actually then sent their the SDNY sent a draft down that named tr uh, Trump as candidate one. And DOJ said, no, that's too specific. And that's how we got with individual one. I will tell you. One of my sources inside the SDY said uh, for a while we joked about just being really difficult and just trying to name him president one just to make it completely clear to everybody. It's a little bit of pretzel logic, right? You you can't indict him because he's the president, yeah. but you can't call him a co-conspirator because you can't indict him. Exactly. It, 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 it is really tricky. And I would add to that. Everyone, I think, by now knows of this policy, DOJ policy against indicting a sitting president. But I argue in the book, this policy has a longer tail than that for exactly the reasons we're seeing here, right? It actually has the practical effect of protecting a president once he's out of office, not technically, but think about the, the uh, you know, think about it here. In 2018, the SDNY was ready to lay it all out as to Donald Trump. They were, they, they felt confident they had the goods on him. Come 2021, you know, you're two years later, two and a half years later. It doesn't feel as urgent. It doesn't feel as timely. Now we're in 2023 and we can talk about the strange timing behind all this. And, um, you know, look, the prosecute, prosecutors have moments and sometimes the moment has passed. And so I think if you have to wait two, three, four years for a president to leave office, that can make it uh, less appetizing and less desirable for prosecutors to ultimately charge. On the front page of today's New York Times, it was online yesterday. Today it's in the print edition. Michael Rothfeld lays out the TikTok as it's known, of the relationship between Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump, to a lesser extent yeah. to uh, Karen McDougal. Uh, now I want to talk with Ellie Honig about the law that applies, because the same New York Times, not exactly a right-of-center publication, has regarded the 
potential prosecution of Donald Trump for these facts as a quote unquote risky or novel legal theory. So Ellie Honig, former prosecutor, explain to us in lay terms what actually would be the charges and what would be necessary to prove them. Okay. Paying hush money is not a crime. It's not seemly, it's not lovely, but it is not inherently a crime. If we're looking at New York state law, and that's what the Manhattan DA would have to charge here, it appears they're looking at two different crimes. And I, by the way, agree with the New York Times analysis. I think these charges would be risky, certainly novel. So the lower level would be falsification of business records. And the idea here would be they paid this $130,000 to Stormy Daniels. And rather than characterize it on their own internal books, the Trump organization's own internal books as hush money payments or whatever it may have been, they classified it as legal fees. Now, under New York law, that's a misdemeanor. That means the max penalty is one year, but no one's going to jail for a, for a administrative misdemeanor. That's sort of the starting point. And the thing, by the way, I want people to keep in mind, it doesn't it, it matters, but it, it doesn't make Donald Trump guilty if he knew about the hush money payments. Prosecutors are going to have to show Donald Trump knew about the false booking of them as legal fees and that it was Donald Trump and not Michael Cohen who said, hey, let's book these as legal fees. Now, if it, if it can get a little more serious, however, if New York prosecutors can prove that the records were falsified in order to commit or conceal some other crime, some second crime. And so here, arguably, that crime would be a campaign finance violation, because if this was a $130,000 donation or expenditure, that would have been far in excess of the limits. But the question there is, was the purpose here to protect Donald Trump electorally in the 2016 election or to protect Donald Trump and his family against embarrassment and humiliation? Now, here's the here's the novel part, though, Michael. The problem is this is a federal election for president, and yet they're trying to use New York state law to punish a violation of federal election law. We don't know what the answer is there, and it's possible that a judge sees that in New York state and says, no, New York state law applies to state elections, not federal elections. I should add, if they make that showing, it becomes a class E felony, which is the lowest level of felony in New York. There's class A, most serious, E is least serious, there is no F. Now, the max penalty there is four years, but- a nonviolent first-time Class E is quite likely, not certain, but likely to result in a sentence of probation, fine, but no prison. Do I understand Ellie Honig to say that with regard to the first potential charge, the falsifying business records, that prosecutors would need to establish that Donald Trump himself knew the way in which this got recorded in the Trump Organization documents? Exactly. And that's why this is more complicated than people think. People go, of course, he knew about the hush money payments. Of course he did. But that's not that's not a, that's not a crime. The crime under New York state law is falsifying business records. And so they're going to have to show that Donald Trump knew about it or ordered it or instructed it. And again, the defense will be Donald Trump. He's got Alan Weisselberg there doing the books. He's got Michael right, Cohen doing right, the books. He's no right. math major. And, he and he's a candidate. He's out. He's yeah. out. You know, he's on. He's barnstorming the nation campaigning for president. He's got the perfect built in defense that he had no idea how this was being recorded. And let me add to that, Michael, you may remember, people may remember, Michael Cohen made a secret recording of Donald Trump at this time. It came out publicly. We played it right. on CNN. Yep. And in one portion of it, Trump says something inaudible, but then he says cash, question mark. It's inaudible, inaudible cash. And Cohen's response is, no, 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 we're going to finance it. Now, if I'm a defense lawyer, I say, right there, folks, 
Donald Trump doesn't. He's he's not sophisticated with this. The one who says we're going to finance it, we're going to turn it into checks, we're going to docket it in our paperwork. That's Michael Cohen, not Donald Trump. Wow. Okay. Something else now I want to pick up on. Just going back to what you just said. This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform slashing manual tasks and errors over 37,000 companies have already made the move so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Wow. Okay. Something else now I want to pick up on just going back to what you just said. The second crime you said could be a violation of New York state election law. And this has to do with the purpose behind the payment of the money. Do I understand Ellie Honig to say that if Donald Trump can be convincing that he was paying that money so as to protect Melania and Barron, the family, Uh not the campaign, this was all to protect my right. wife and my son, then that too gives him an out? Yes, and remember, Donald Trump doesn't have to convince anyone of anything. Prosecutors right. have to convince Prosecutors have to convince it's about the doubt. campaign. Yes. Right. Yes. So what will happen here, and we've already seen this happening in, in the in the you know publicity around the case. Prosecutors, if if they they have to in order to charge this, they have to prove that not the exclusive one hundred percent purpose, but a predominant purpose, a substantial purpose here. Was to right, was to protect him 
in the election. But Trump's people will say, no, he was. I mean, it was the John Edwards defense. John Edwards, the former vice presidential candidate, beat a federal case by convincing a jury or by convincing the jury that the prosecutor had failed to show that the reason was for political protection. Now, there are differences in the case because in John Edwards case, they actually made a payment after the election, which sort of undermines the notion. I think prosecutors here, Michael, are going to say, look at the timing. They're going to say that affair with Stormy Daniels, alleged affair happened a decade before, yet they pay her off two weeks before the election. Of course, it was geared towards the election, but the response from Trump's team is going to be, yes, she was an opportunist who saw him at his most vulnerable when it would have hurt him most. And she came forward to us and threatened to go public right before the election. Uh, and to, so to protect the family, we paid her off. And so, you know, you're going to need testimony as a prosecutor that establishes this was for the election. This was electorally and politically focused. Ellie, and thank you for allowing me to get into the weeds on this. The the, the Times write-up says yeah. the following. In this case, the second crime, as you've been explaining, could be a violation of New York State election law. While hush money is not inherently illegal, the prosecutors could argue that the $130,000 payout effectively became an improper donation to Trump's campaign under the theory that because the money silenced Ms. Daniels, it benefited his candidacy. And that's what you've been explaining. If, if it were regarded as an illegal yeah. contribution, it would be an illegal contribution from whom? From Trump, right? Because ultimately yeah. he bore the responsibility for the 130 grand. This is a great point. And Joe Tacopino, who's Trump's lawyer, has been saying there's actually a difference here because it's not a donation. It's almost like Trump spending it out of his own pocket. Now, there still could be issues with reporting. Was it properly reported? Um, you know, there's not really a limit on what a candidate can spend on his own campaign. I mean, we've seen wealthy people essentially finance their own campaigns. Uh, so Joe Tacopina, who's a, who's a look, I, I had plenty of cases with Joe Tacopina here in New York. He's a real lawyer. Um, you know, he, he he bangs heads in the courthouse. He knows what he's doing. He's tough. Um, he's made that exact point, Michael, which I think is another tricky nuance for, for prosecutors. OK, I and thank you for being so gracious with your time Two two other areas quickly, if I may, uh, to ask of, of Ellie Honig. What do you think the reaction is as between Jack Smith and Merrick Garland at the prospect that Alvin Bragg <laughs> might beat them to the courthouse? It's such an interesting question. I think I can see it both ways. On the one hand. I can see a sense of relief because Merrick Garland has been under fire. I spend a chapter in my book basically criticizing Merrick Garland for the slow pace and his inaction. Um, and so I think it may be a bit of a pressure relief valve for them of sorts, because all the people out there who've been saying, where are you, Merrick Garland? What are you doing? Now, at least a little bit of it has been alleviated because they they probably will see an indictment sometime soon. On the other hand, I really think just in terms of our overall system and, and process, if I was the king of the world of prosecutors, which I am not, and there is no such thing, but if I could decide who goes first, I would, DOJ has to go first, in my view. They, they are the uh, most powerful prosecutor's office. They have the most public standing. They have the most serious conduct. And I think to lead with really the weakest foot, and I think a lot of people agree on this, of all the, between Fulton County, Mar-a-Lago, DOJ, January 6th, this is the weakest and the oldest and the most attenuated legally and factually, um, I think collectively as prosecutors, you never want to lead with your weakest foot. I'm thinking that it plays into, regardless of which case would actually get litigated first, 
this does further the Trump narrative of they'll come after me for anything. And by the way, I've characterized this Absolutely. as a case as a case of, about a sexual relationship. And and I've got blowback from callers who are saying, no, 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 it's a campaign finance case. Well, yeah, campaign finance based on sex with a porn star. OK, final issue for, for Ellie Honig. Yes. And it's this. I, I, I have my doubts about whether anything significant happens tomorrow. The more that I look at at Trump's truth social statement from Saturday. You know, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday of next week, protest taker. There's no confirmation that his lawyers have been told by Alvin Bragg. And I wonder if this isn't an effort to intimidate Bragg and just let him know what it's going to be like to tangle with Donald Trump. Having said that, assuming that Trump is uh, charged and arrested, what does it actually look like? Will there be a mugshot that everybody gets to see by way of example? Right. So let me first of all just sort of echo something you said. Again, I've known Alvin Bragg for since law school. He was a little bit ahead of me in law school, but and I've been critical of of Bragg as I have been in some respects here on this show. But the, the attempts to to brand him as corrupt or racist or are or, or, or outrageous. He's an excellent prosecutor. I should note, by the way, a lot of people on the left were all over Alvin Bragg and saying he was bribed and corrupt last year when it came out that he wasn't going to charge the other finance right. case. Now they're his biggest right. cheerleaders, which is kind of right. kind of nonsense. But Alvin Bragg is is a good, smart prosecutor, the highest integrity. I have to say that first. Okay, let's talk logistics. Once the witnesses are done testifying, if you're the prosecutor and you want to seek an indictment, you go in front of the grand jury and you say, okay, folks, you've now heard from all of our witnesses. Here's a bit of a summary and here's a draft indictment. And you walk them through the law. You maybe summarize what they heard from the witnesses and then you leave the room. And then the grand jurors will knock on the door from the inside and they will either hand you an indictment 99% of the time. Once in a while they'll go, we have, well, they'll have questions, but once in a while they'll, they'll return what's called a no true bill, meaning we decline to indict. I get, I don't know, is that possible here? Who knows? It almost never happens. If there's an indictment, then you file it. Usually in a case like this, you would file it with the court as a prosecutor. You'd file it under seal, meaning secretly for the time being. Then if, if this is a surrender case, this isn't a case where you're going to go in with the cops and break down the door. If the person's going to voluntarily surrender, you call the lawyers and you say, hey, we have an indictment. We need him to surrender by tomorrow at noon, whatever it may be. So this final voting by the grand jury could happen tomorrow, could happen on Tuesday. And that call, hey, we need you the next day, could happen for Wednesday. Um, when Donald Trump comes in, and P- by the way, I want people to understand this. If you're thinking about what's the possibility of unrest This area of downtown Manhattan, where I worked for eight and a half years, is the most dense law enforcement secure area you will ever see. All it is is you have you have one police plaza right here. I'm I'm standing like I'm on the plaza. I'm visualizing to my right is one police plaza, which is the NYPD's headquarters. Ahead of me is the Southern District of New York, behind which is the federal prison, the Metropolitan Correctional Center. To our left is 26 federal plaza where the FBI and all these other federal agencies are. It's all courthouse. Houses, U.S. Marshals, it is like, and it is also very like tightly packed. It, there's no good place for people to have sort of a mass demonstration. So know good, that. Good okay. detail. There are yep. also countless, yeah, there are countless tunnels and back entrances. So Trump, I'm sure if it comes out this way, will be led into a building through a secret entrance. He will be fingerprinted. And by the way, people don't do like the ink and roll like you see on TV. You know, where, right? it's not really done that way anymore. It's just a you put your hand on a screen and that's right, it. Like so, a passport. you know, people like are looking for that. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I got ink and rolled when I started as a prosecutor, but that was a long time. Um, and uh, will he be handcuffed is a big question. 
Typically, you would at least briefly handcuff somebody in a scenario wow. like this, but wow. I could see them working out a deal not to. I could see both sides saying, let's skip the handcuffs. It's a nonviolent offense. He's with Secret Service, not going anywhere. Um, on the mugshot, this is a really interesting question. New York law, so different states and jurisdictions differ on this. Federally, you're, you never can give out mugshots. They would leak out sometimes. But when I was a prosecutor in Jersey, we would attach mugshots to press releases. That was standard and that was okay. In New York, they actually changed their law a few years ago. I think it was 2019 to say mugshots are presumptively not available to the public Mm -hmm. unless there is some specific law enforcement need. Now, it turns out a lot of towns in New York have been sort of uh, liberal with that and have been like, well, there's always a specific need. But what it really means is someone's a fugitive, someone's on the loose, right? We need to identify a person. And so I think by the law, this mugshot should not come out, but- Will it? Will someone leak it? Will someone get their hands on it? Certainly people will will sue under the Information Act laws to try to get it. So um, can you imagine what that's going to look he like? May and what want that's, it. I think he, that's going to hey, galvanize hey, people Ellie, both ways. He may want it, he yeah. may want it out. Mm-hmm. He may want it out. I, I've been going back and forth he with may. DC. I'm, I'm sure he is in front of a mirror today getting that pose ready. Hey, by the way, very important. Uh, uh, <laughs> He's not permitted, right? There's no way there could be a hand gesture. We're not going to see him like the Fonz with no. a thumbs up. Because <laughs> yeah. every, other, every other criminal or a, <laughs> a, a defendant would give a different hand gesture, I'm sure. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just you just got to stand there. And uh, I wonder if he'll go for menacing or sometimes people try to go yeah. for like carefree, like not bothered with the smile. That's an interesting strategic calculation. I think he's going to look at that famous mugshot of Sinatra and try to try to replicate that. Right, right. It's certainly not <laughs> Nick Nolte. Ellie, you have totally taken us to school. Your book is untouchable. <laughs> How powerful people get away with it. You're the one who broke this story. And I'm really grateful that you would come back today and and speak in such lengthy detail. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for having me, Michael. Always a pleasure. Ellie Honig, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business projects 
processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. What do you think, gang? You just heard from former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig. He broke in his book the fact that they had contemplated they, the feds, the Southern District of New York, Trump for these same circumstances and concluded that it was too trivial and that they weren't going to pursue it. And he, and he explained some of the vulnerabilities of the case. In New York, falsifying business records can amount to a crime. It's a misdemeanor. In order to elevate it to a felony charge, you need to show a second crime. Well, sticking with the first, the falsifying business records, if Don, they need to prove that Donald Trump knew the way in which this was being recorded. How are they going to do that? I guess with the testimony of Michael Cohen. And then the second crime would be a violation of New York State election law. Here, Trump could say, as part of his defense... This wasn't about the campaign. It was to protect my family. I know some of you are guffawing at that and saying, really, if he weren't running for president, would he have parted with any of the money? But still not a slam dunk, right? Uh, Michael, greetings. You are in North Las Vegas thinking what about this case? Well, Michael, I believe even though it is the weakest of cases of the cases, doesn't mean it's weak. It's a kind of like if you... Or let me just say, this is how I look at it. The Trump Justice Department was going to bring forth this case. I mean, it was under his department that was going to bring forth this case. The other thing is, is, is I look at this kind of like a pinata. You keep hitting at it, and it it may be the weakest of them, but once you start something, it could cause a crescendo. And that's the thing. You know, we keep on saying, um... When is Trump going to ever be charged for anything? Well, nobody's done anything. So I'm glad that one of the things Ellie said, um, you know, people were looking at Bragg as being bribed. I, I was one of them at one point in time. But now I'm glad to see that he's bringing forth the case. And I think the vulnerabilities, they, 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 there, there must be something else. They must know that they've got something that they can prove that he was involved and was aware of the legality. Uh, I wonder, could there be an aspect of this that that is just not yet in the public domain that wasn't known to the vets, to the feds? I, I don't know. I don't know. Michael, thank you. I want everybody to vote on Smirconish.com. Today's poll question asks whether being indicted for this would benefit Trump as it relates to the nomination, Mark's an attorney. What are you thinking, Mark? 
Hey, hi, Michael. I, during my career, I was general counsel of a large bank in New York, and people always wanted to book settlement expense in, in legal. And sometimes we would and sometimes we wouldn't. It was sort of an accounting issue. Um, I always didn't want them in legal because I didn't want my expense to look high, but the business lines always viewed them as a, as a legal expense. And there's a lot of stuff that's billed as legal expense that you can bill in lots of different areas. It's sort of a judgment call. So I, I, I don't know if I'm missing something here or is this going to blow up in the prosecutor's face when he gets some accountants up there saying, yeah, it could be booked in either place. Or is this well, a, what would, some what sort would of my, So wait, what, tell me what would my tell me what my choices would be if I'm if I'm in your old role and we've paid out money to make a potential lawsuit go away. How what are my options for how to handle it on the books? Well, you know, you could put it in, you could put it in legal. And if I agree to it, it would end up in legal. But then I'm I'm the manager of that expense, right? Like, why are your settlement expenses so high? So I don't want it there. Or you put it in the business line as a as a as a line item as a settlement expense. Or you could even book it as you know this is the cost of doing business. We get a lot of these settlements. Just like you know, if you, if you have a deal and you have a closing dinner after the deal, we could book that in HR. We could book that in legal. We could book that in corporate development. It's Interesting. Just sort of a, Interesting. Uh, right? <laughs> Interesting. It's yes. Bottom, because you want to get down to the very, is your bottom line accurate? Did you really make this much money during the year or not? To me, that's the financial fraud. If the well, numbers when Michael, the same, okay, how about this? We're, we're Mark, when, yep, when Michael Cohen says we're going to finance it, we're going to finance it, Maybe Trump isn't thinking that anything is going to get registered now, uh, that it's, that someday down the road they're going to have to figure out where to put it. That that could be as well. That could be as well. I just but think you're going to have a very – you're going to have a tough time. Trump is, is flying rally to rally to rally. It's the final couple of – final three weeks of the campaign. And yeah. for prosecutors to show that Donald Trump knew, was fixated upon how this was going to get – handled on the books i think is a tall order it is and for all we know maybe at the trump organization he always booked settlement expense and legal well now you're raising another question which is you and i both doubt that this was the first time that they had to cross the bridge of how they're going to account for a settlement made by a woman who'd come forward against donald trump correct yeah so this just seems like what a terrible case to be the first case Yes, that's what I've been saying all along. I've been saying it all along. You know, and, and that's why if I'm Jack Smith, the special counsel, and obviously I know what Ellie just explained to our audience, I'm thinking, oh my God, not that one. It's going to taint everything. Right. Right. Thank you, Mark. Everything afterwards. Yeah, your yeah. your expertise was was really valuable. Thank you. Thank you for that, Dallas, Texas. Mike, quickly, what did you want to say? Yeah, good morning. Um, I'm 71, and I've seen a lot, you know, in those years. And I just think this whole affair, um, pun intended, is, is just sordid. And it's it's a sad day in America that, you know, it's come down to this. Well, also, do you, th- one last do you think thing. it shouldn't, if, if it is the way it's just been explained, is it a case that ought to be brought? Uh Yes and no. I mean, these other cases, Georgia and uh, Mar-a-Lago, I mean, those, you know, th- those all can happen at, at some point. And, yep. and who's to yeah. say that, you know, they just didn't think that 
we'll do them all, you know, and and just let the. And maybe they're all going to. Maybe maybe they're all going to come. Maybe maybe he'll be defending himself. Thank you, Mike, against uh, against all of these fronts. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.